0: Now, the Bible is full of characters like Solomon who were caught up in routine and they were drowning in monotony. He sets out to try and figure out what's the purpose in life? What life is all about? What should we do while we're here? and What should we live for? What should we go for? And so he tries all this stuff. Have you ever gotten into a state of monotony? You know, you can feel like life is passing you by and you can feel like you are accomplishing so little and you're just stuck in this routine every day. If you find yourself in monotony, can anything good come out of it? How do we deal with monotony? Let me give you several thoughts here. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes in the first chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We live in the country. Uh, we don't get much for TV there, but... It seems like whenever we travel and we're in a motel, if we turn it on, Spongebob is on. (laughs) It's just all over the place and you can't help but get to know some of the characters like Squidworth. How many are familiar with Squidworth? He works at the Krusty Krab and I'll never forget one episode where he got uh, bored with working there and he couldn't wait to retire and so he did and he couldn't wait till he was able to do all the stuff he's always wanted to do. And his first day, man, he, he uh, rode his bike, and then he went to the library, and then he, he played the flute with a bunch of other folks, and he ate at this special restaurant, and he went to the opera, and, and uh, boy, that was a great day. Well, he got up the next day. He, he went to the library, he rode his bike, he played his fruit flute, he, he went out to eat at a special restaurant and went to the opera. He did the same thing the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, and, and his countenance, it was kind of funny. Oh, that's great. Yeah where it was no fun anymore. You know, if you do the same thing over and over and over again, it can become monotonous, can't it? It can become routine. We have an expression in our family. I'll come home and I'll say, well, that was a Squidworth day, you know? And uh, my wife knows what that means. I'm not talking about uh, boredom, and I'm not talking about not having anything to do. There's plenty to do, but I'm talking about getting tired of what you do. And you do it day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, day after day after day after day until it can can feel like it's becoming meaningless. And maybe the wheels are turning by now. You go, yep, yep, uh, you're describing life sometimes. Well, it, it doesn't have to be just you, and it doesn't have to be life of the 21st century. We find a man who lived about 1,000 B.C., and he was filthy rich. He was the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time, and really had the world by the tail as, as society would define a life. I'm talking about Solomon. And yet we find the man Solomon here in Ecclesiastes 1, bored and listless and restless. And uh, in a routine, one he found monotonous. And he writes it for us here in Ecclesiastes 1, beginning in verse 2. He says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That word means empty and vain and useless and unprofitable. Yuck. He says in verse 3, What profit hath the man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and it turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Under the place from whence the rivers come... Thither they return again. I think that might be speaking of evaporation. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. (sighs) You read this and you go, the guy has an attitude. He's sporting a toot, isn't he here? What's his problem? Well, he's stuck in a routine and he's kind of uh, tired of it. And so we're going to be talking today about the monotony of life. And when we encounter it, how do we deal with it? How do we overcome it? Let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before thee at this time as we uh, study thy word over the next few moments here. I pray that you would help us now to remember the truths that we will learn, and may they help us with the monotony of life. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' precious name, amen. I think most of us here have heard of of, uh, the former governor and even former vice president, briefly, of the United States, Nelson Rockefeller. He was famous. Well, he had a son by the name of Michael, Michael Rockefeller, who was uh, uh, handsome and, of course, wealthy and very smart. He went to Harvard. He graduated cum laude, whatever that stuff is. But he was very restless. He was raised on the silver spoon. He had the world by the tail, but it got old, got boring. And so... Being somewhat of a, a filmmaker, he decided to go to Papua New Guinea. And he decided he was going to do a documentary and, and film something on tribal warfare among the headhunters. Well, he got over there and he, he couldn't find any tribes warring. Couldn't find any headhunters. And so he tried to stir up trouble and, and you know, create uh, problems between the tribes. That didn't do it. He even tried bribing. One of the, the heads of the tribe to go out for a certain amount of money and bring back a head, and that would start a war between the, the tribes. Well, anyway, he kept stirring things up until they got sick of him. And the last time they saw Michael Rockefeller, he was swimming through shark infested waters trying to get away from the headhunters. His father Nelson sent a search party over there. They never did find him. But what you have here is a young man who got bored with life. He got tired of the routine. He got tired of the monotony, and he decided to do something out of the routine. Of course, it cost him his life in this case. There are those uh, who even have have gone to doing something called elevator surfing. Have you ever heard of that? Elevator surfing is when uh, they will pry open a door in a high rise, like in a, a, a place like Chicago, and, and see the elevator coming up and jump on it as it's going by, and follow it up and down these these skyscrapers, basically. And if they're really daring, they will see the elevator coming down next to them and time it and, and jump on that. There are young people who've lost their lives doing this. You say, why would people do stuff like this? Bored, listless, restless, tired of monotony, and, and just trying to do something to break it up. You know, since the beginning of time, there have been people who obviously have too much time on their hands. Back in 1986, when we went to the Holy Land, we also uh, trekked across the desert and we went over to Egypt. In Egypt, you can go to Cairo and, and, uh, and places like that and find the pyramids. And you've seen the pictures of them, but I'm telling you, in person, they're even more amazing you know, the triangular-shaped things with these, these blocks the size of the altar, practically here, uh, stacked on top of each other, and, and, and people today still scratching their heads saying, how in the world did they get those up there? Well, I didn't think that when I looked at it. I, to me, I stood back and I, I went, these folks had way too much time on their hands, you know, <laughs> basically. You go down to the, the jungles of, of Latin America and Central America and you find these, these monuments. I've never been down there, but I've seen the pictures of the Azte- Aztecs and, and some of these, these monuments they built, and they're just huge. And the most amazing thing is they're built out of huge stones that were not found in the area anywhere. They were hauled from hundreds of miles away. Labor was very cheap back then, apparently. But again, I say to myself, they must have had a lot of time on their hands. Have you ever gotten into a state of monotony? What is monotony? Webster defines it this way. It's sameness. It's without variation. No variety. Same thing every day. It's it's uniformity. It is tediousness that might describe your job. It is flatness, according to Webster. That might describe North Dakota. It is uh, dull. That's what it means to be monotonous. And it can bother us without us even realizing it. We can be in a routine, not even realize it, but it takes its toll on you, especially if you're in something where there's the same schedule week after week. And the, the, the regular kind of life, you're continually... Doing the same thing. And, and, and you go, this is getting old. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a dull thing. It, it, it can be something that would look glamorous to us. But it's gotten old to the person who does it every day, every night. Years ago, there was a, a baseball player by the name of Reggie Jackson. And of course, he's in the, the Hall of Fame. He played for Oakland. He, he, he played later for the Yankees. And he played under Billy Martin. And if you followed baseball back in those days like I did, those two were always feuding. Martin... Had a real fiery temper, and and Jackson had an attitude. One one night they were playing a game. I forget where it was, and and uh, there was a a, a hit to uh, center field to Jackson. With a little bit of hustle, he could have gotten over there and caught it. But he just kind of jogged on over, let it bounce in front of him, and and uh, throw in the ball, and the guy was on base. Well, the game stopped when Martin came flying out onto the field and just tore into to Reggie Jackson. Now, if you and I got the chance to play in the bigs, we would go, "Hey, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to get everything I've got." But Reggie Jackson wasn't that way. And in time it got old to him. Anything can get old to you. We've all heard of Michael Jordan, at least most of us have here. And and Jordan won 3 rings, I think he was at the height of his game, and you remember what he did? He retired, or at least he got out of basketball and into baseball and he never made it there so he went back to basketball but you say why would a guy do that i mean be at the top of his game and just quit well it got old even even nba championships can get old super bowl rings can get old tom brady said after winning three super bowls there's got to be more to life than this so folks you sit back and you watch these superstars and these celebrities And you go, well, boy, if I just had what they have. No, anything can get monotonous. Many of us remember the escapades of of, uh, former President Bill Clinton. In fact, his escapades go back to when he was governor of Arkansas. I had a very interesting conversation once in person uh, with the janitor, of his church there in, in um, oh, what was the name of that town? I can't remember it now. But anyway, the town he grew up in, the janitor gave me a lot of insight about the guy. And, and, and you wonder why he was always into scandals until finally he was impeach, impeached by at least the Congress. Well, it, it came out that Bill Clinton was, was easily restless. He, he had to just live on the edge. He had to be doing something over the top continually until it finally got him into trouble. You know, it doesn't matter who you are and what position you have, even President of the United States. Um, you can get in a routine and it can get monotonous. Alexander the Great at age 33 conquered the then known world. And he went back to Babylon and he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. And in fact, he got drunk and it cost him his life. Monotony is not so much inactivity, but it's, it's just when the activity we're engaged in, to us at least, becomes meaningless it's not a matter of having nothing to do. It's just getting tired of what you're doing. There are many a mother perhaps here and you're listening right now and you're saying, I have plenty to do. I have too much to do. But I'm, I'm, I'm drowning in monotony. I'm, I'm swamped, but I'm dying of routine. It doesn't matter who you are. You could, you could work as a custodian in a school. You could work as a nurse in a hospital. Uh, you could work as a salesman on a car lot. Uh, you could be a, a beautician. And I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of people even on our church here. You could be a truck driver. You could be a carpenter. You could be a banker. You could be a realtor. You could be a, a dental assistant. You could be a, uh, even a pastor. It doesn't matter what you do. It can become monotonous. It starts at an early age. You find that kids can get very restless. In fact, it reminds me of a, a kid who was very uh, rambunctious. And he was taking his first airplane ride, and he was just all over the place in the airport, knocking over garbage cans, getting in people's hair. Finally, they got him into the, the plane and they strapped him in his seat and figured he, he'll, he'll sit there now. Well, they were no sooner in the air when he had the seatbelt off and he's up and down the aisles. He's getting in people's ways. And finally, he's exasperating the stewardess and he, he knocks over something and he spills a bunch of water all over the place. And as she's cleaning it up, he's in her face and she looks up at him and she says, little boy, why don't you go play outside right now? (laughs) You ever felt that way? Restless. I remember the first day of kindergarten. Going, where am I and what's this all about? Well, it's all about playing and coloring and drawing and recess and all kinds of fun stuff. But I'm telling you, when I got into first grade, and it was a full day, not a half day. And uh, it's not goofing around anymore. That was the longest day of my life. And it follows you through life, doesn't it? There was a man, he's, he's been called the most traveled man ever. His name is Jay Rosdale. He's from Elmhurst, Illinois. And, and he has been to every single country in the world. There's a few closed countries he couldn't get into, communist countries or whatever they might be at that time. But he, he logged over a million and a half miles traveling around. They said, well, why? And he said, well, it's something to do. But he even testified, it got old. Anything gets old now the Bible is full of characters like Solomon, who were caught up in routine and they were drowning in monotony solomon 's one of them here, and we find some very interesting things in this passage we read a moment ago he's, He mentions in verse two everything 's vanity everything 's vain it 's empty it 's unfulfilling it 's unsatisfying. Of course, we as christian people we, we know better than that, but he 's behind the eyeballs of a man who's trying the wine, the women, the song. He's uniquely qualified to conduct an experiment because he's filthy rich and powerful and can do whatever he wants. And so he he sets out to try and figure out what's the purpose in life? What life is all about? What should we do while we're here? and What should we live for? What should we go for? And so he tries all this stuff. He mentions, though, before then, Stuff that's old and monotonous. One generation passes away, another comes along. How the sun rises and goes down just like it did yesterday. How those wind circuits keep doing the same thing. How the water keeps rushing into the ocean. All this stuff going on. He gets down to verse number 16. He says, I commune with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate, and I've gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. He's going to try the party life. He says, I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. He goes on in verse 3 of chapter 2. I sought in mine heart to give myself unto wine, yet equating mine heart with wisdom, that is at the same time, and to lay hold on folly till I might see what was that good for the sons of men which they should do under the heaven all the days of their life. That didn't fulfill him. He says in verse 4, I made me great works. He was always building something. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I, and I planted trees in them of all kinds of fruit. I made me pools of water to water therewith the wood that bringeth forth trees. I got me servants and maidens and had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were, were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered me also silver and gold. And the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces, I got me men singers and women singers, and the delights of the sons of men as musical instruments and that of all sorts. So I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor." So everything is going honky dory as we say. But notice in verse eleven. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no prophet under the sun. He's about to call the bummed hotline here. It's it's not going the way he thought. In fact, in verse seventeen he goes on. Therefore, I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me. For all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He's really bumming here. Look in chapter 4, verse 2. It gets worse. Wherefore, I praise the dead, which were already dead, more than the living, which were yet alive. He's saying, those lucky dead people. This doesn't sound like a Christian, does it? And he goes on in the remaining chapters, and it's obvious he's got the blues. He's got the blues. So it doesn't matter how rich you are, how famous you are, monotony can set in no matter who we are. It doesn't matter what your past accomplishments are. In fact, I think of, of people in the Bible. I think of Noah. What a challenge for decades to build this huge boat and load in the, the animals of the world and basically save them to the point where they can reproduce again. But afterwards, he comes off the high and he gets drunk. You say, what's with that? You know, as I read in Genesis, actually I read of, of many who were in exploits of, of great deeds like Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob. And, and we're reading the, the mountain peaks of their life. We're reading the high points of their life. But there are many times where it just mentions them dwelling in tents. You ever read that before? Kind of hanging out. Day in and day out in tents. Even, even Moses... Had a very monotonous life, and you could say, Well, wait a minute pastor i 'll take it a task on that i mean he 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 man he was uh, he was living in the the palace with pharaoh and pharaoh 's daughter, and that had to be exciting. yeah, the first forty years of his life were pretty probably eventful, but how about the next forty he 's out there in the wilderness and he 's just watching sheep and it 's nothing but sand in every direction and hot sun he 's working under and and it's the same thing, he, he goes through the seasons one at a time, and you talk about monotonous. Now you can take a look at his life when he turned 80, and you can say, whoa, but for the next 40 years, whew, he lived a life off the charts. I mean, there were the 10 plagues, he comes out with a mighty hand and leads the children of, of Israel out there into the wilderness and the Red Sea parts, and, and the water's coming out of rocks, and God's performing miracles. You know, all that took place probably within the first few weeks after they left Egypt. What about the next 40 years? For 40 years, you know what he's putting up with? People grumbling, saying we don't have any water, we don't have any food, there's rebellion, there's, there's insurrection, there's treason, there's counseling and, 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 and bickering. And in and, and Deuteronomy 28, He said it got to the place, God at least said it'll get to the place, where in the morning they would say, would it were evening. And in the evening they would say, would God it were morning. You ever read that before? In other words, this is so old. And it can get old, especially when it's not going good. You know, you can feel like life is passing you by, and you can feel like you are accomplishing so little, and you're just stuck in this routine every day. Do you know that most people get their name in who's who? We've heard of who's who. By age 30, by age 30, most people have gotten into who's who. Maybe you're in your 30s, you're not in there yet. Or your 40s, or your 50s, or your 60s, and you're not in there yet. And you say, wow, I want my life to count, and this is haunting me. You know, Job put it this way, my days are swifter than a weaver shuttle and yet, without hope, they just keep flying by. And in Job 10.1, even Job said, I am weary of my life. You know, you look at some people, though, and you, you think they have no reason to feel like they're living a meaningless life. I mean, they have everything going for them. Their life is full. It's exciting. There's purpose. Well, that's what you think. But it doesn't matter. I mentioned a moment ago, Reggie Jackson, Michael uh, Jordan, how about David, as we go back to the Bible? Do you know that as a teenager, David had killed a lion and a bear? And you would go, well, you know, no big deal. Well, we used guns. They didn't have guns then. When he killed a lion and a bear, it was, it was mortal combat. It was hand to hand. How many have killed a lion, you know, just with your hands, with a, with a knife? I don't think anyone has. Or a bear. How do you top that? Well, maybe with a giant. He kills a giant. That's big stuff. And then he goes out and he kills hundreds or thousands of the enemy. They're making up songs about him. I mean, he's a household name. And and you go, how do you you top that? It was one accomplishment after another. But you know what happens? We read in, in 2 Samuel 11, 1 that at a time when kings go to war, David stayed behind. Why? Well, I don't know when the time kings go to war was. Maybe it was in the spring. Maybe it was in the summer. Maybe it was in the fall. But he'd been doing that for years, for decades. And another summer comes along and he says, you know, I think I'll just tarry here at Jerusalem. I, I, I've done enough of this stuff. And so he, he's, he's tired of the schedule. He's tired of the routine. He's tired of the same Monday through Friday. He's tired of the same, same old, same old. And you know what happens. Look in in the Psalms, if you will. Just turning back to Psalm 55, we find actually some words of this same David. And he gives us a little insight to what he was feeling perhaps at that time in his life. In Psalm 55 and in verse number 6, he says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness, say law. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I, I would just get away from it all if I could. Do you ever feel like, uh, you know, Kelgon, take me away. I just wish I could get away from all of this. You know, and it's possible to even get away. But guess what? You've got to come back to the monotony again, to the schedule, to the routine. It can be depressing. It really can if you do it day after day. And maybe I'm talking about where you live. And and you try and and scratch that itch of monotony, and it is still there. If you've ever been to San Jose, California, maybe you've had the opportunity to, to tour a house. It's called the Winchester House. Any of you here ever toured? Some of you have toured the Winchester House. Quite a few of you It was started, as far as construction goes, back in 1884. And some of you are going to know the story about it. It was a woman who was behind building it. And she she started in, in 1894, or 84 actually, building this house, Mrs. Winchester. And she worked on it for the next 38 years. She was obsessed with building it. She'd get it built, and then she would just add another floor. Or she'd add another wing. And when that was finished, she would add another floor and another wing, and another floor, until she spent in those days over half a million dollars on it. Can you imagine how much money that would be today? Over half a million dollars. And by the time she died, and she was obsessed with building, thinking that if she ever stopped building, she would die. She finally died. But by the time she died, it was eight stories high, if you can imagine that. It was, uh, had 158 rooms in it. It had in it... Um, 48 fireplaces, 9 kitchens. Oh, by the way, it had miles of secret passages in the thing. It had 2,000 doors in it. It had 10,000 windows in it. We have a, a woman here who is trying to scratch an itch and you just never do. So, I said all that to say this. How do we deal with monotony? Let me give you several thoughts here. If you find yourself in monotony, can anything good come out of it? And the answer is, I believe yes. I want you to think of several things here quickly. First of all, consider the preparation. Consider the preparation, that time spent preparing. I mentioned a moment ago my first day of of first grade. I absolutely hated it, but you know the worst part was it was followed by five more grades and finally I was done with grade school or junior high. That was followed with several more years of of senior high, followed by more years in college. What were those things? They were preparation times. Hours of sitting in a classroom, it's tedious, it's menial, it seems like anyway, and it's routine. But it was preparing me. There are things in your life, even now, that are preparing you. It's always been that way. I think of Elijah, and we can, we can study back there in 2 Kings the life of Elijah. And we can talk about this battle up on the, the top of Mount Carmel overlooking the Mediterranean Sea on this side and the Valley of Armageddon on that side and how he called down fire from heaven and afterwards destroyed the 450 prophets of Baal. And what a great victory that was. But what we forget is over three years of preparation. The time out there in the boonies, the time alone, the time with God. And so it might seem monotonous, it might seem ho-hum, but everything pretty much worthwhile requires some preparation, doesn't it? You know, I preach thousands of sermons. If you, if you get up and you speak several times, four times a week on the average, more if there's Bible college, and, and you start adding those up, that's a lot of preparation time. Second Timothy five, or 2 Timothy 2.15, I think, says, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, in much study, there's a weariness of the flesh. Those of you who've ever prepared to get up and speak know that it's, it's, it's draining. And yet when the suit and the tie go on, and, and the, the outline goes into the Bible, and, and you step out under the lights, and the voice is amplified, and you've got hundreds of people listening, you're glad you're prepared. I'll guarantee you, you're really glad you're prepared. There must be that time of preparation. Preparation. It is worth it. It is worth the monotony. It's profitable later on. That time I spent in school, as much at the time as, I, as it seemed like, get me out of here, you know? I could be out there doing something worthwhile, you know? But it, it was worthwhile because I learned to read and write and, and do all the things that, that I need to do in life. And you had the same time in school as well. It was not a waste. You know, after I got saved, the schooling continued. And I went through four more years of Bible college and term papers and sitting in class, and that was a sentence to me. And in my mind, hey, this is kind of wasting time. There's a world lost out there, and and we need to go reach them. But folks, there must be that time of preparation. You know, we have a couple of missionaries sitting over there on their way to Africa who have spent a couple of years or more out raising support on deputation. I'm sure they've been just going... Let's get this over with. Let's get to Africa. And it might seem monotonous going to church after church after church, setting up meeting after meeting, motel after motel, mile after mile driving. But that's all preparing you for something. I'm sure you understand that. And so it might seem monotonous, but don't forget the preparation. Secondly, don't forget the provision. Think of provision. Provision, as you go through the menial assignments of life, be it your career or your job or whatever it might be, there's there's the provision that comes from that. There's a reason you work your job. You're providing somehow. You go to work. You work your 8 to 5. You, you work Monday through Friday. You work uh, 45, 47, 50 weeks out of the year, not counting vacations. And what you're doing is you're providing for uh, getting a roof over your head and food on that table and, and the tithe money in the collection plate. You're putting missionaries like this on the mission field. Uh, what I'm saying is there's a, a bigger picture to this. You're doing more than just uh, cutting hair or, or uh, attending people in the hospital or uh, driving the truck or, or cleaning the school or building the house. You are making provision and a provision that is necessary. It might be monotonous, but God acknowledges it. God notices it. In fact, when the widow woman put the mite into the treasury, God the Son was there and noticed it. And so don't look at it as something monotonous, but... It's a provision. Thirdly, think of it as, as pausing. Now, you're in the Psalms. Turn to Psalm 90 here, if you would. Pauses are a necessary part of life, aren't they? I mentioned Moses a moment ago. You know, Moses, his life was on pause from age 40 to age 80. It's kind of like, whoa, that, that, what was accomplished there? Well, it might not seem like a whole lot, but it really was. Pauses are a necessary part of life. And we serve a sovereign God. And the Bible says that he performeth the thing appointed unto us. He even, he even puts those pauses in there. When John the Apostle was on the Isle of Patmos in his 90s, he, he might have felt like this is a waste of time. Unbeknownst to him, he was about to write perhaps one of the most exciting books of the Bible in this mid-90s, the book of the Revelation. You know, it, it might feel like, like the Johnsons over here are paused in, in, their, in their, their mission in life. But pauses are necessary. And maybe uh, you could be dying to get to the mission field. That'll come in God's time. In the meantime, you raise that support, and you meet with preachers, and, and you pray about that field, and you're still doing the will of God. There have been times here at Fargo Baptist when uh, we've been building buildings and, and, and you kind of feel like as a pastor, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be trying to reach the town. I'm telling you, there have been many a times when I've had a tool belt on my side thinking, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be dealing with souls. I should be dealing with people. Those are the pauses in life. You can get very restless at those times. Philip Brooks, the writer of Old Little Town of Bethlehem, was a very restless individual. I've given you this story before. One time, a friend of his walked into the room and and Brooks was pacing the floor back and forth like a caged lion. And his friend said, Brother Brooks, what's the problem? And Brooks looked at him and he said, I'm in a hurry! But I'm afraid God isn't. You ever felt that way? You're in a hurry, but you're afraid God isn't. Well, God wastes no experiences. And even the pauses of life, He can use them. And maybe today... Uh, You feel like you're in one of those seasons of life where your life is paused. Maybe you're a college student, Bible college student, and you're here and you're getting uh, trained for the ministry. That's not a routine. That is not a monotonous thing. That is a pause ordained of God that is very important. Look in in Psalm 90 before I forget to have you look at this verse here. Verse 12. Verse 12. It says, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto God wisdom teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom God has a reason for the pauses now fourthly let me just say this think of the present think of the present how brief it is the fact we're just passing through as you get bogged down in monotony and the need to make a difference don't waste any time just realize the time we have is precious and we are to redeem the time for the days are evil I like to go to little country cemeteries from time to time and, and read the headstones and look at the dates and, and, and read the, the epitaphs and so on and so forth and, and think of the people who once walked at the top side of this earth and who are now long gone. And if the Lord should tarry, we will join them. So what difference can we make now while we're here? And what impact can we have while we're here now? Don't, don't waste the present. We have too much to do. And God help us to be faithful with the time we have. I said, remember the preparation. Remember the provision. Remember the pausing. Remember the present. I've got to throw this fifth one in. Remember the parenting. The parenting, one of the most important things you'll ever do as a Christian. Think of how important that is. And have the foresight to see that what you're doing right now is of eternal consequences because sometimes parenting can be one of the most monotonous things there is. But you're at a stage of life and and seize the moment, and make the most of it. Brother Clayton told me years ago, Larry Clayton said, you blink twice and those kids will be gone. He said it when my kids were like that high. He was right. I blinked twice and they were gone. I remember years ago, my wife feeling like, you know, there's so much that needs to be done ministry-wise, and yet there's the children that need to be tended to. And Brother Clayton said wisely, and this is just his lingo, he said, raise your babies now. And that's been good advice. I've given him any sense. If you're at that stage of life, don't wish it away. My, my, my parents often said that was the greatest season of their life was when they were raising us kids. Seize the moment and be content with what you're doing right now. And then finally, let me just say this. Remember the popery, and that's what I said we'd be talking about. There are ways to spice up life a little bit and, 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 and do whatever you can to add that that spice in there. You know, um, there are times, in fact, most of my sermons are prepared up in the attic of our home. But there are times when I'll, I'll get daring and go down in the study. And by the way, it was supposed to be my study and everybody but me uses it now. Or there are times I'll, I'll, I'll find various rooms around here to study or I'll, I'll even study outside some place. But, but whatever you have to do to change it up a little bit, spice it up a little bit. Now, let me just close by saying be careful about Monotony. There are, there, are, there are many things that, that, are, that are negative that can come out of monotony. I mentioned King David a moment ago. What a disaster that murder and adultery and all the, 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 the uh, curses that followed David afterwards really started because he was bored. He was tired of his routine. There are couples who get divorced. There are people who commit suicide. There are folks who get into cults. All because they're tired of monotony. Monotony is a part of life. And and it doesn't mean God's not in your life if it's become routine. Colossians 3.23 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. Remember, give it your best. When you find yourself in monotony, look up and, and see the Lord in it all and thank God for your life and get a right perspective on it. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.